call it when you sing without musical accompaniment? That's Latin. Anybody know what that means? Singing without music. I thought someone was going to give me a Barney Fife answer for a minute. Uh, it's Latin, a and capella. A means in. Anybody have a guess as to what capella? Church. Acapella literally means in church. Okay. And uh, any guess as to why they call it that? Because, because a lot of times when the early church met to sing, they, they did not have musical instruments. Now, there are some churches that today still are very against having any kind of musical instruments. But we understand that the Bible teaches, let us praise the Lord on the stringed instruments and so forth like that. But uh, there is a beauty just to hearing the voices, the instruments that God has given to us in our vocal cords. And uh, so we're just doing something a little different tonight. And uh, probably what the early church sounded like as they met. Uh, a lot of their singing as they would gather, singing to themselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs uh, would have been done that way. So you're all recruited for the choir. Practice is at 5 o'clock. <laughs> but had a good time. All right. We're going to look at just a couple verses in Acts 13 tonight. I'm not going to take a lot of time with this. But... Uh, the background of this, of course, we need to consider the, the re-giving of the Great Commission back in chapter 1. Remember, uh, Jesus is sending up from them. Uh, but before he goes, he says in Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in, say it with me if you know it, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and Okay, so there's really uh, three different regions that are being talked about there, and it really gives to us our concerns and our interests when it comes to the gospel ministry, evangelism. That's what Jesus was giving to his the early church there, the disciples. There's the local Jerusalem, that's where they were. That was the center. And then as it moved out from there, you had your, your region, Judea, Samaria. Okay? And so there's a local focus, a regional focus. And then when they said to the uttermost part of the earth, what kind of focus would that be? Yeah, world or global or something like that, right? So I think it's safe to say that every church ought to have that kind of focus, that we ought to have a local focus for the gospel, we have a regional focus for the gospel, and we have a global focus for the gospel. So are we doing that here at Anchor Baptist Church? Well, we have four missionaries. We pray for the Owens today, we think of Ruth Potter in the Philippines, the Messers in Ecuador, the, the McLeans in Wales, we have uh, folks up in uh, the Baffin Island, the Hitz family, and on I could go. But regional would be more like our country. You know, we have people such as uh, the Barbas that travel around the United States helping church planners. Um, and we have other people like that that we focus on here in the States. Operation Renewed Hope. It's kind of a dual thing where they do stuff here in the States as well as abroad. But this is part of our intentionality as a church in saying we want to make sure we as Anchor Baptist Church are being faithful to the Great Commission. So how do we reach our Jerusalem? 
Well, that comes right down to us individually, doesn't it? And we do that a number of different ways. Hopefully every single one of us feels the mandate to be mindful of lost people around us. We have things like the coffee meetings coming up where we're trying to provide a venue where you can invite lost uh, people that you know in your neighborhoods that come out and hear the gospel. Hopefully you're sharing the gospel, being a witness, being salt and light in the community. Uh, we do things like the Good News Club in the public school. And uh, just a little thing, a couple weeks ago, it was exciting, we had one of our moms and her two children from Good News Club visit the church. Um, what was exciting was, it was probably the last family that we thought would have maybe shown up because uh, they marked on their, their application form that their religious affiliation was Jehovah's Witness. But God's been doing a work in her heart, and uh, the Lord drew her and gave us opportunity to talk with her. So it's exciting to see people being impacted by the gospel. The gospel works. Amen. You know, it's the power of God into salvation. We need to never lose sight of that. And it is so exciting when you see someone who is lost in their sin, being reached by the grace of God, and transformed by the Spirit of God. There's nothing like it. And that's what the church is all about, okay? That's what we're here for. So here in Acts chapter 13, we're at the global focus. Really, the book of Acts then is divided out. We could think about it. Chapters 1 through 7 was sort of the local focus. Everything was around the epicenter of Jerusalem there. And then beginning at verse chapter 8 through 12, you have Philip going into Samaria and things like that. So it's going into the region. And then, of course, not to say that it stops, but it's like the Lord is showing us in the way that the book of Acts is laid out. Now, we're taking it globally. And, of course, we have the first, what we sometimes call missionaries, being commissioned to go out. So I'm going to read the first four verses and just give some thoughts tonight about the church being on a mission. It says, Now there was in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas, Simeon, it was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, and they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed into Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And of course, they'll go on from there. But just a couple things as we read just those opening verses here. It is the church, this area of Antioch, which becomes sort of the, the sending church area. And there's, there's other local churches, but this seems to have a missions-minded focus here and very capable of being involved in this. And we're giving a description about some people. And so we ask ourselves, what does a sending church look like? What, what, what does it take to be a sending church? Well, this verse tells me it was a mixture of people, first of all. Simeon, or Niger, the literal translation means black. Uh, some people suggest he may, have been, he may have moved there from maybe Ethiopia or something like that. And, um, and so he, he looked very different physically, perhaps, from everybody else that was there. Lucius is from Cyrene, which is in North Africa. Saul was Roman and Jewish, and so you've got kind of a, a melting pot of people here. But isn't that what the church is? 
You know, it's it's where we may not have anything else in common but Christ, but that's enough. Amen. We may have different hobbies, different interests, different accents. Okay, some talk some talk Yankee, some talk godly. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> It was very funny listening to our Jewish tour guide, raised in Israel, give us his imitation of a southern accent. It was <laughs> Hearing you all talk southern like that in his Hebrew was great. But really, it's a joy to realize that as, as we get to know each other, that it's not about that we all have to look the same way, think the same way about everything. Our bond is in Christ. As long as we believe the gospel and the importance of carrying it out, that's what matters. In fact, Colossians 3, 10, 11 says this, And have put on the new man. See, that's what it's talking about when we get saved. We put on a new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where, therefore, is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, and here's the last part, but Christ is all and in all. It's all about Jesus, in other words. And Jesus is in all of us that are saved. And that's the only commonality. We can be as different as possible. Some slaves, some not. Some, some from this region, some from another region. Say, man, you know, how, how can we work together when we have such different cultural analogies? Well, the only culture that matters is the culture of Christ. And so that's what ascending church looks like. In fact, sometimes uh, it's a real healthy church that is sort of an amalgamation and melting pot of all different kinds of personalities and so forth like that. So our commonalities in Christ and the cultural distinctions are diminished in the New Testament church. Secondly, how does ascending church behave? Now that's an important thing. And there's a couple things here that we can pick up on this. It says, first of all, that he said to ready them. There's this idea of preparation. Uh, and, and how did they get ready? Well, it talks about them as they had ministered. Well, what does that mean in verse 2? It says, as they ministered to the Lord. The word means literally serve without pay, much like a community worker. So these men were already investing their time in the local church. We don't know what all they were doing. Uh, they may have been involved in the teaching ministry. But they may have been also helping with some of the widows. We understand Barnabas was, was the son of consolation. And so he had a gift of compassion for people. And basically, he was the kind of guy that's like, what can I do for you? What is your need? I'll be there tomorrow type person. So he had been participating in his local church. You know, anytime we have a foreign missionary come through here and I'm listening to their testimony, I don't want to just know that the first thing that they're ever going to do to serve the Lord is going to the foreign mission field. I love to read the packets that he send me, and here's a, a referral letter, and I hear, I'm looking for something from their pastor that says, oh, I would like to recommend to you, you know, Katie and Johnny, they have for the last five years been very active in our church here, you know, they've been doing Sunday school classes, they've been doing this, they helped in the nursing, whatever it is. But what I'm looking for is they're participating. They have a heart for Christ, both here and abroad. Not just, some, well, when we get there, we'll start serving the Lord. No. No, we want to see that there is a track record of faithfulness. So, they participated. They prayed, verse 3. There's a sense of, of pouring out your dependence upon the Lord. 
this was a prayer of dedication upon these people. But the church had a, a, a power of, it was a church of prayer. We already know that. Why? Because Peter was in prison, and, and what was the catalyst that, that really sort of moved God to break him out of prison? What was the church going? They were praying. They didn't even believe in their own power in prayer because they were so shocked when he showed up. Oh, Lord, you answered our prayer. But they're able to commission, believe in God, you need to send these people forth. We don't know what they're going to face. And how many times I've appreciated our foreign missionaries say, you know, we need financial support, but the one thing we need more than anything else is prayer support. That's true. Need God looking over and out for you. Not only they were participating and prayed for, but they were passionate. It talks about this fasting. And that could be a whole message in of itself. But we didn't understand fasting isn't impressing God with how ascetic and how much you can give up. And like, oh God, I'm, I'm about to starve to death here, so please answer my prayer. And I want you to believe I'm saying, no, it's I am so focused on connecting with God that I don't have time to eat. And I don't want to be distracted with this. By the way, there's more ways to fast than just by giving up food. A lot of times people say, well, you know, I would love to fast. The Bible talks about fasting, but, you know, I have some health conditions, and my doctor tells me I really should. Great. How about fasting from media? Right? Maybe that's an even more important one. I'll never forget, the first time this concept came to me is when we had evangelist John Van Gelderen come to our church probably about 15 years ago. And in his packet of information, he suggested a media fast. In other words, hey, for a month beforehand, give up television, internet, all these different things, and just focus, you know, undistracted on just prayer and the Word of God. And so there are other ways that we can show ourselves passionate about saying, God, we need you to do something. We're serious about this. We're not just toying around with it, you know, marking our attendance. And fasting is one of those ways that demonstrates this. Remember in the book of Esther, when uh, the Jews were about to be exterminated by Haman's plot, and Mordecai comes to Esther and says, you know, you need to be the woman that steps up. You, you as queen have an opportunity to say something to the king. And she says, well, I'll do that, but first I want everybody to do what? Fast and pray. To show they're passionate about what they wanted God to do. So they're participating, they're praying, they're passionate. And then there's the preaching, verse 5. We didn't read down that far. But when they come to their first stop, they get out their Bibles and they start giving them truth. They give them the Word of God. And it's the preaching of the Word of God that God blesses. There's something about the proclaiming of God's truth that reaches and changes lives. This is all in the readying of them. And this is what I think ought to be true in some measure in anyone that's going out with the gospel message, that this needs to be part of their lives. They were not only ready uh, as far as the sending church, but there was a recommending by the church of who was going out. You notice that they laid hands on them in verse 3. Now, what does that mean? Well, that is a, uh, an outward method of demonstrating approval. In other words... Someone can come and say, God's called me to do such and such. Well, anybody can say God's called them to do such and such. Okay? Someone could come in and say, you know, uh, God's told me to be the pastor of this church instead of Pastor Wood. Well, God told him, so I guess that must be the case. Hopefully we'd say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do we know God told him to do that? Right? 
And so God gives us wisdom, and he works through people, and gives us leadership. And so he also gave it to them. Remember one of the things he told his disciples. Hey, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Okay? And so there's this idea of God working through godly leadership. And so these people are watching Paul, Barnabas, and saying, we recognize in you what you're claiming that God has burdened you with doing. You, you've said you surrendered to do this, and we can see this. We, can, we have a sense. The Holy Spirit that's within us, the Holy Spirit's within you, He's communicating with us that in fact we agree with what you're saying, and, and that's the case. And so they put hands on them, and uh, we've done this where we put our hands and say, we're, we're showing as the leaders of this church, the men, the elders of the church, that yes, we give approval to this. I, I still remember back in 1991, May 5th, when I was ordained into the ministry and I was asked to kind of get down on my knees and, and godly preachers who had uh, gone through and asked me questions and then came before the church and said, we want to recommend Carl Wood for the gospel ministry. And then they prayed over me and put their hands on me. That was a very solemn occasion. Now, that showed godly men that I respect and walk with the Lord saying, we sense that God's doing in you what you're saying that you believe God's doing in you. We want to see that in our missionaries that we send out. Not only were they recommended, is that they were released. It says they were sent out in verse 4. Literally, they released them. They, they let them go. But it is actually the Holy Spirit that sends, if we want to be technical about it. You know, we never want to get into the place where we're trying to do the Holy Spirit's job. Amen. Right? And so someone has to, it has to be the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I think some churches get so caught up on saying, you know, well, how many missionaries that we can send out? And, and it becomes almost a, a peer pressure thing. And so they're, you know, people are surrendering to go and then they're sort of failing and they come back and say, you know what, you know, I, I felt like the church had called me, but I'm not sure God ever called me. So there is that importance where you sense, though, the Holy Spirit is the one that has sent me forth. And then the church is the one that supports and approves of that. But then what is our job? Is to remember them in prayer. They pray for them. And that's why we try to do a lot of things here at Anchor Baptist Church to keep our missionaries in front of us, okay? That's why we put uh, synopsises of missionary letters on the back of the bulletin. They encourage you to read those and then to take and pray for them throughout the week. That's why we pray for a missionary by name on Sunday morning. We pray for them on Wednesday night. And things come up. We try to alert you. Pray for this missionary in this regard. So I encourage you to get on their prayer list when they come through and they put a clipboard out there. You put your email address down there so you get their email letters and you're praying for them as they come in. Sometimes it just takes five minutes to read those letters and then to take another five or so minutes and pray for them at that moment. You know, if everybody at every supporting church did that, can you imagine how much prayer support that would give to our missionaries? And so we really need to believe in the power of prayer and the importance of it, especially for the gospel ministry of these people that we've sent out there. Later we'll continue on through chapter 13, and we'll talk about how they do the missionary work. And that really then comes into their camp. And as I'm talking to our missionaries on the phone and what's going on. I talked to Brother Dennis Rogers, who's 
out in Washington State this, this past week, and the week before we went on our trip, I talked to Paul Hitz up in Baffin Island, and you know, trying to encourage these men and so forth like that. And I realize as they're they're asking me questions, which I appreciate as a pastor looking for wisdom, as a supporting church, and I'll say, you know, here's my thoughts on this. I'll pray for you in this regard. But in the end, some of these decisions, I tell them, you're going to have to make them yourself. You're the one that's on the front line. But I'll tell you, we're praying for you, and we have confidence that God's hands upon you. And if there's anything more we can do, please let us know. But we really do need to realize that we're not, we're not there running the missionary's job. We're not in Washington State doing what the Rogers are doing. We're not in Wales or down in Ecuador. God hasn't called us, at least at this point, to go. He's called them to go. But He has called us to pray for them. To lift lift them up in prayer. That's the church on a mission. We need to take it very seriously. I'm excited about this coming year and the years to come. About what we can do even more than we're already doing. I'm excited about what we're already doing. But both in our own Jerusalem, right here in the Grand Strand area. In the United States, or Judea and Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. You know what? We don't know how much time we have before Jesus comes again. And He's going to take the church home to heaven. And that's going to be a glorious time. But folks, we want to be busy. We want to work, for the night is coming when no man can work. Amen? Amen. Amen.